From technology and acquisition to citizen services and mission execution, a culture shift is underway with federal government leaders increasingly seeking out solutions that disrupt the way business has traditionally been done. Here we connect with those government and industry leaders driving this change and delivering the real results in support of their agency mission. This is Keeping IT Brief. I'm being joined today by Kajol Singh of GuideHouse. Today we're taking a look at making the right enterprise strategy decisions in the Fed Health community. So Kajol, how can non-clinical drivers of health affect patient decisions and overall health? Thanks, Marianne, and thanks for having me on today. Um, as the recent COVID-19 pandemic has, has brought to light, in many cases, it's the non-clinical drivers of health that are actually more important in the management of health outcomes for a patient or a population um, that is certainly experiencing a negative determinant. And, and the non-clinical drivers of health, as, as many of us are familiar with, are often referred to as social determinants as well. And, and um, those include factors such as economic stability, housing stability, food security, and environmental justice, just to name a few. Um, numerous studies suggest that social and economic factors are the primary drivers of health outcomes, and social and economic factors can help shape individuals' health behaviors. So as an example, children who are born to parents who have not yet completed high school are more likely to live in an environment that poses barriers to good health, such as lack of safety, housing instability, and economic instability. They're also less likely to live in an environment that provides access to facilities, such as parks and playgrounds. And as we all know, those, those access to those kind of facilities certainly promote healthy behaviors. And that lack of safety and overall instability, of course, contribute to suboptimal utilization of healthcare services for children in this example, um, including services like wellness visits, routine vaccinations, and screenings. Uh, and that's often driven by lack of knowledge on how to access healthcare services a lack of trust in the healthcare services. And as we have discussed a lot in the social context over the last couple of years, much of that is rooted in historical inequities, including racial injustice, and, and, and just sheer inability to access the system for a variety of reasons, including financial hardship, employment conflicts, having to take time off of work to, to access the healthcare system. is just sometimes not an option for people. Um, and then certainly sheer lack of services in close proximity to where a patient or family may live. So, as a result, conditions that may have been prevented or managed in a less clinically and cost-intensive manner are not addressed until they become acute, often chronic and comorbid conditions, with a significantly higher financial burden on the health system and hardship on the family. And, uh, you know, as many studies have shown, social factors, including education, racial segregation, and poverty, account for a significant portion of deaths in the United States. And many, many studies suggest that those could be between 30 to 40 percent, which is which is not insignificant. What is something you wish healthcare providers and payers knew about social determinants of health? So I actually think that healthcare providers know a significant amount about how the non-clinical drivers of health affect their patients' outcomes. Providers that we see every day are on the front lines, and particularly those who serve in primary care um, or in emergency care are, are very attuned to the conditions and needs that their patients have. However, I think there's a significant opportunity to better support the providers and the payers and providers can both play a role in that. So I have really three three core ideas. First, it's important for the provider to have the right tools and data insights to assess the non-clinical needs of their patients. 
and not only assess them, but then prioritize them in a way that allows them to understand what needs are contributing the most to the patient's health condition. Once the providers have a data-driven view of their patient's needs, they need evidence-based guidance on the best path to resolution. So as an example, if you know that a pregnant person is at an increased risk for mortality, you, you need support in understanding what action is going to have the biggest impact on reducing that risk. Is it providing nutritious and regular food for that patient to lower their risk of preeclampsia or gestational diabetes? Is it supporting them in finding stable housing? Is it engaging a home health program to meet them in their home or community to provide more intensive prenatal care? Or is it providing them with economic support through their pregnancy to help mitigate the challenges of employment on their pregnancy and health? Providers may know that their patient is at risk, but understanding what actions will really help to reduce that risk is not yet a data-driven science. Once the provider knows the risk that their patient has and the interventions that are most likely to mitigate that risk effectively, the provider needs to have the right infrastructure to take action. So this includes linkages to community-based partners that can immediately and actively engage the patient and most importantly can develop a trusted relationship with the patient so that the patient will actively seek their support. I've spoken with numerous providers who complete the obligatory social determinant screening that many hospitals and health plans require now, but their biggest concern is that they do not know what to do if their patient's screens is likely to be negatively afflicted by a condition. And, you know, this is, this is true. And I speak to a lot of my provider friends. They tell me it's an awful feeling to be looking at a patient who has self-attested, for example, as housing insecure, but not to have any resources or community-based support to immediately engage to help that patient. So often these patients also present with unaddressed mental health needs and being able to connect multiple dots in one clinical encounter is, is next to impossible in many care settings where the most at risk are seeking care. And third, there needs to be a financial infrastructure to fund non-clinical interventions in support of improving health outcomes. Now, I'm not talking about just, you know, grant giving um, efforts or, or donations, although those are important to strengthening our in infrastructure. I'm talking about fundamentally shifting the way that providers make money and that payers define value. Payers need to be looking at their data, and many are starting to, to say, I'm spending way too much treating this population in the emergency room. Why is that? What's driving those visits, and how can we help meet the patients before they ever come to seek services from our network? And if they do visit our network, how do we pay for that encounter in a way that empowers the provider to get reimbursed for addressing the right needs the patient has, whether that be clinical or non-clinical need? What steps are industry leaders taking to address SDOH, and why is data important? Yeah, so I think the conversation is well underway when it comes to acknowledging the importance of the non-clinical drivers of health. But, you know, I think what is really still lacking is an evidence-based approach to intervention and the patience and appetite in the industry for trial, error, and evaluation. Um, for, for, for those who have done, you know, evaluative studies before, you know that to properly study interventions that will have the most impact on addressing a non-clinical determinant of health you need to study this effort for multiple months on end and use the level of rigor around the data that help confirm causations and correlations of actions with outcomes. But the reality is that our industry is just not set up to allow that study to happen. And even if and when it does, it does not happen at scale. So our providers are facing an environment of constant flux, compounded by staffing shortages, dire financial circumstances, and unfortunately, addressing the needs of the most vulnerable likely means that you're addressing the needs of those with the least ability to improve a hospital's financial performance in the near future. Payers are oftentimes running quarter by quarter and are facing financial targets that are set by their shareholders. 
So the current circumstances faced by both parties is not conducive to change and certainly not conducive to change in a space where the evidence is nascent and the data are incomplete or not usable. So in order to solve this, really providers need to be empowered at the bedside to understand what their patient's biggest non-clinical needs are with data insights from both publicly available data sets and using their patient's own data. And in parallel with that, the provider needs infrastructure to take action at that very moment of the patient encounter to help their patient. Hospital and health system administrators need to understand the true vulnerabilities in their community using a data-driven perspective so that they can properly channel their community health dollars and charitable investments into their communities um, to, to really drive the most impact. And, and in parallel with that, payers need to reframe the way that they're applying risk adjustment and assessing the risk profiles of patients and creating the financial flow to the provider so that the provider is empowered to say, in order to treat this patient and improve their health, this is the right investment in their health, even if that is not a prescription for a medicine or a referral to another doctor. So at the heart of all these decision-making tasks is data, driving the insights, and more importantly, driving effective decision-making with demonstrated ability to improve health outcomes and reduce overall healthcare expenditures over time. Okay, this is all great information. Is there anything else you would like to add? No, I just I, I thank you for the opportunity to to discuss this, and, and certainly I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how the industry evolves and how we continue to bring more evidence-based solutions into the market. Thank you for listening. For more podcasts by G2 Exchange Media, please visit www.bethealthit.com and look for the podcast section at the top of the page. Music by Jam Studio, courtesy of Shutterstock Incorporated. <laughs>